Section 14 of The Golden Bough, Part 3, The Dying God, by Sir James George Fraser. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Note A. Chinese Indifference to Death. Letter of Mr. M. W. Lampson. Lord Avebury kindly allows me to print the letter of Mr. M. W. Lampson, referred to above page 146 note 1 it runs as follows foreign office august the 7th 1903 dear lord averbury as a result of inquiries i hear from a mr eames a lawyer who practiced for some years at shanghai has considerable knowledge of chinese matters that for a small sum a substitute can be found for execution this is recognized by the chinese authorities with certain exemptions as for instance parricide it is even asserted that the local Taotai gains pecuniarily by this arrangement, as he is, as a rule, not above obtaining a substitute for the condemned man for a less sum than was paid him by the latter. It is, I believe, part of the doctrine of Confucius, that it is one of the highest virtues to increase the family prosperity at the expense of personal suffering. According to Eames, the Chinamen, sick, look upon execution in other man's steed in this light and consequently there is quite a competition for such a substitution should you wish to get more definite information the address is w eames esq c o norman craig inner temple e c the only man in this department who has actually been out to china is at present away but on his return i'll ask him about it yours sincerely miles w lamson lord averbury's statement on this subject, Lord Averbury has stated, It is said that in China, if a rich man is condemned to death, he can sometimes purchase a willing substitute at a very small expense. In regard to his authority for this statement, Lord Averbury wrote to me, August tenth, 1903. I believe my previous information came from Sir T. Wade, but I have been able to lay my hand on his letter, and do not, therefore, like to state it as a fact. Sir Thomas Wade was English Ambassador at Peking, and afterwards Professor of Chinese at Cambridge. Opinions of various authorities. On the same subject, Mr. Valentine Chirol, editor of the Foreign Department of the Times, wrote to me as follows. Queen Anne's Mansion, Westminster, S.W., August 21st, 1905. Dear Sir, I shall be very glad to do what I can to obtain for you the information you require. It was a surprise to me to hear that the accuracy of this statement was called in question. It is certainly a matter of common report in China that the practice exists. The difficulty, I conceive, will be to obtain evidence enabling one to quote concrete cases. My own impression is that the practice is quite justifiable according to Chinese ethics when life is given up from motives of filial pity, that is to say, in order to relieve the wants of indignant parents or to defray the costs of ancestral rights. Sick. Your general thesis that life is less valued and more readily sacrificed by some races than by modern Europeans seems to be beyond dispute. Surely the Japanese practice of seppuku or harikari, as it is vulgarly called, is a case in point. Life is risked, as in dueling by Europeans, for the mere point of honour, but is never deliberately laid down in satisfaction of the exigencies of the social code. I will send you whatever information I can obtain when it reaches me, but that will not, of course, be for some months. Yours truly. Valentine Cheryl. P.S. 
A friend of mine who has just been here entirely confirms my own belief as to the accuracy of your statement, and tells me he has himself seen several imperial decrees in the Peking Gazette, calling provincial authorities to order, for having allowed specific cases of substitution to occur, and ordering the death penalty be carried out in a more severe form on the original culprits as an extra punishment for obtaining substitutes. He has promised to look up some of these imperial decrees on his return to China, and send me a translation. I am satisfied personally that his statement is conclusive. V.C. On the same subject, I have received the following letter from Mr. J.O.P. Bland, for 14 years correspondent of the Times in China. The Clock House, Shepparton, March 22, 1911. Dear Professor Fraser, my friend Mr. Valentine Chirol, writing the other day from Crete on his way east, asked me to communicate with you on the subject of your letter on the third alto, namely the custom alleged to exist in China of procuring substitutes for persons condemned to death. The substitutes' families or relatives receiving compensation in cash. To speak of this as a custom is to exaggerate the frequency of a class of incident which has undoubtedly been recorded in China and of which there has been mentioned imperial decrees. I am sorry to say that I have on my file on the Peking Gazette here for immediate reference, but I am writing to my friend Mr. Backhouse in Peking and have no doubt that he will be able to give chapter and verse of instances best recorded. I have expected to find cases of the kind recorded in Mr. Werner's recently published Descriptive Sociology of the Chinese. Spencerian Publications But I have not been able to do so in the absence of an index of that voluminous work. More than one of the authors whom he quotes have certainly referred to cases of substitution for death sentence prisoners. Barker, for instance, China Past and Present, page 378, asserts that substitutes were to be had in Canton at a reasonable price of 50 taels, say, 10 pounds. Dr. Matignon, in Superstition, Crime et Misere en Chain, page 113, says that filial piety is a frequent motive. The negative opinion of professors, Gilles and Tigrut is entitled to consideration, but not be regarded as any more conclusive than the views expressed by Professor Gills on the question of infanticide, which are outweighed by a mass of direct proof of eyewitnesses. In a country when men substitute voluntarily to mutilation and grave risk of death for a comparatively small gain to themselves and their relatives, where women commit suicide in hundreds to escape capture by invaders or strangers, where men and women alike habitually sacrifice their life for the most trivial motives of revenge or distress. It need not greatly surprise us that some should be found, especially among the wretchedly poor class, willing to give up their life in order to relieve their families of want, otherwise to acquire merit. The most important thing, I think, is expressing any opinion about the Chinese, is to remember the great extent and heterogeneous elements of the country, and to abstain from any sweeping generalizations based on isolated acts or events. He was very truly J.O.P. Bland. As the practice in question involves a grave miscarriage of justice, the discovery which might entail serious consequences on the magistrate who connived at it, we need not wonder that it is generally hushed up and that no instance of it should come to the ears of many Europeans resident in China. My friend Professor H. A. Gills of Cambridge, in conversation, expressed himself quite incredulous on the subject, and Professor J. J. M. de Groot, of Leyden wrote to me, January 31st, 1902, to the same effect. The Reverend Dr. W. T. A. Barber, headmaster of the Lay School, Cambridge, and former missionary in China, wrote to me, January 30th, 1902, 
as the possibility that a man condemned to death may secure a substitute on payment of a moderate sum of money we used to hear that this was the case but i have no proof that will justify you in using the fact another experienced missionary the rev w a hornaby wrote to dr barber i have heard of no such custom in capital crimes man whose house the fire starts may and often does pay another to receive the blows and three days in a cane but unless we have foreign rights were the case and a bravely condemned criminal handy i should hardly think it possible every precaution is taken that no one is beheaded but the man who cannot possibly be let off the expense on the country mandarin is over one hundred pounds in satisfactory expenses with higher courts on this i would observe that if every execution costs local mandarin so dear he must be under a strong temptation to get the expenses out of the prisoner whenever he can do so without being detected substitutes for corporal punishment in china with regard to the custom mentioned by mr cornaby of procuring substitutes for corporal punishment we are told in china there are men who earn a livelihood by being thrashed instead of the real culprits but they bribe the execution to lay on lightly otherwise their constitution could not long resist the tear and wear of so exhausting a profession thus the theory and practice of vicarious suffering is well understood in china note b swinging as a magical right the custom of swinging practiced for various reasons the custom of swinging has been practiced as a religious or rather magical right in various parts of the world but it does not seem possible to explain all the instances of it in the same way people appear to have resorted to the practice from different motives and with different ideas of the benefit to be derived from it swinging at harvest in the text we have seen that the lets and perhaps the siamese swing to make the crops grow tall the same may be the intention of the ceremony whenever it is specially observed at harvest festivals among the Burjanese and Makassars of Salibs. For example, it used to be the custom for young girls to swing one after the other on these occasions. At the great Desera festival in Nepal, which immediately precedes the cutting of the rice, swings and kites come into fashion among the young people of both sexes. The swings are sometimes hung from boughs of trees, but generally from a crossbeam supported on a framework of tall bamboos. Mother Diaks of Sarawak a feast is held at the end of harvest, when the soul of the rice is secured to prevent the crops from rotting away. On this occasion, a number of old women rock to and fro on a rude swing suspended from the rafters. A traveller in Sarawak has described how he saw many tall swings erected and dyaks swinging to and fro on them, sometimes ten or twelve men together on one swing, while they chanted in monotonous, doge-like tones in invocation to the spirits that they would be pleased to grant a plentiful harvest of sago and fruit and a good fishing season swinging for fish and game in the east indian island of Bengali, elaborate and costly ceremonies are performed to ensure a good catch of fish among the rest an hereditary princess who bears the royal title of dingjang raja works herself up by means of the fumes of incest and so forth into that state of mental disorder with which many people passes for a symptom of divine inspiration. In the pious frame of mind, she is led by her four handmaids through a swing all covered with yellow and hung with golden bells, which she takes her seat amid the jingle of the bells. As she walks gently to and fro in the swing, she speaks in an unknown tongue to each of the sixteen spirits who have to do with the fishing. 
nor to procure a plentiful supply of game. The Tina Indians of Northwest America perform a magical ceremony which they call the young man bound or tied. They pinion a man totally and having hung him by the head and heels from the roof of the hut, rock him backwards and forwards. Thus we see that people swing in order to procure a plentiful supply of fish and game, as well as good crops. In such cases the notion seems to be that this ceremony promotes fertility, whether in the vegetable or the animal kingdom, though why it should be supposed to do so, I confess myself unable to explain. Indian customers swinging on hooks. There seem to be some reasons for thinking that the Indian riders swinging on hooks run through the flesh of the performer is also resorted to, at least in some cases, from relief in its fertilizing virtue. Thus Hamilton tells us that at Karwar, on the west coast of India, a feast is held at the end of May or beginning of June in honor of the infernal gods, with a divination or conjuration to know the fate of the ensuing crop of corn. Men were hung from a pole by means of tender hooks inserted in the flesh of their backs, and the pole with the men dangling from it was then dragged for more than a mile over ploughed ground onto one sacred grove to another, preceded by a young girl who carried a pot of fire on her head. When the second grove was reached, the men were let down and taken off the hooks, and the girl fell into the usual prophetic frenzy, out of which she unfolded to the priest the revelation with which she had just been favoured by the terrestrial gods. In each of the groves a shapeless black stone, doubled with red lead, to stand for a mouth, eyes and ears, appears to have represented the indwelling divinity. Sometimes this custom of swing on hooks, which is known among the Hindus as Churik Puja, seems to be intended to propagate demons. Some Santos asked Mr. V. Ball to be allowed to perform because their women and children were dying of sickness and their cattle were being killed by wild beasts. They believe that these misfortunes befell them because the evil spirits had not been appeased. These same Santos celebrate a swinging festival of a less barbarous sort about the month of February. Eight men sit in chairs or rotate round posts in a sort of revolving swing, like the America rounds which are so dear to children at English fairs. At Norod's and Ed, festivals in Dardistan, the women swing on ropes suspended from trees. Swinging in the rainy season During the rainy season in Bihar, young women swing in their houses, where they sing songs appropriate to the season. The period during which they indulge in this pastime, if a mere pastime it be, is strictly limited. It begins with a festival which usually falls on the 25th of the month jet, and ends with another festival which commonly takes place on the 25th of the month Azin. No one would think of swinging at any other time of the year. It is possible that this last custom may be nothing more than a pastime meant to while away some of the tedious hours of the inclement season. But its limitation to a certain, clearly defined portion of the year seems rather to point to a religious or magical origin. Possibly the intention may once have been to drive away the rain. We shall see immediately that swinging is sometimes resorted to for the purpose of explaining the powers of evil. Swing in honour of Krishna About the middle of March, the Hindus observe a swinging festival of a different sort in honour of the god Krishna, whose image is placed in the seat or cradle of a swing and then, just when the dawn is breaking, rock gently to and fro several times. 
The same ceremony is repeated at noon and at sunset. In the Rigveda, the sun is called, by a natural metaphor, the golden swing in the sky, and the expression helps us to understand a ceremony in Vedic India. A priest sat in a swing and touched with the span of his right hand at once the seat of the swing and the ground. In doing so, he said, the great lord has united himself with a great lady. The god has united himself with the goddess. Is only in custom of swinging at the summer solstice. Perhaps he meant to indicate in a graphic way that the sun has reached the lowest point of its course, where it was nearest to the earth. In this connection, it is of interest to note that in the Estonian celebration of St. John's Day, on the summer softest swings play, along with bonfires, the most prominent part. Girls sit and swing the whole night through, singing old song to explain why they do so. The legend tells of an Estonian prince who wooed and won an Islandic princess. But a wicked enchanter spirit away the lover to a desert island, where he languished in captivity, till his lady love contrived to break the magic spell that bound him. Together they sailed home to Estonia, which they reached on St. John's Day, and burnt their ship, resolved to stay no longer in far foreign lands. The swings of which the Estonian maidens still rocked themselves on St. John's Day are said to recall the ship in which the lovers tossed upon the stormy sea, and the bonfires commemorate the burning of it. When the fires have died out, the swings are laid aside and never used again, either in the village or at the solitary alehouse until spring comes round once more. Here it is natural to connect both swings and bonfires with the apparent course of the sun, who reaches the highest and turning point of his orbit on St. John's Day. Bonfires and swings perhaps were originally charms intended to kindle the speed afresh on its heavenly road, the golden swing in the sky. Among the lets of South Livonia and Curland, the summer solstice is the occasion of a great festival of flowers, at which the people sing songs with the constant refrain of Ligo Ligo. It has been proposed to derive the word Ligo from the lettish verb Ligot, to swing, with reference to the sun swinging in the sky at this turning point of his course. Swinging for Inspiration At Tengariong, in eastern Borneo, the priests and priestesses receive the inspiration of the spirits seated in swings and rocking themselves to and fro. Thus suspended in the air, they appear to be in a peculiarly favourable position for catching the divine afflatus. One end of the plank which forms the seat of the priest's swing is carved in the rude likeness of a crocodile's head. The swing of the priestess is similarly ornamented with a serpent's head. Swing as a cure for sickness Again, swings are used for the cure of sickness but it is the doctor who rocks himself in them, not the patient. In North Borneo, the diet medicine man will sometimes erect a swing in front of the sick man's house and sway backwards and forwards on it for the purpose of kicking away the disease, finding away evil spirits, and catching the stray soul of the sufferer. Clearly in his passage through the air, the physician is likely to collide with the disease and the evil spirits, both of which are sure to be loitering about in the neighbourhood of the patient, and the rude shock thus given to the malady and the demons may reasonably be expected to push or hustle them away. In Tengeriong, in eastern Borneo, a traveller witnessed a ceremony for the expulsion of an evil spirit in which swinging played a part. After four men in blue shirts, bespangled with stars, and wearing coronets of red cloth decorated with beads and bells, had sought diligently for the devil, rallied about on the floor and grunting with awe, 
three hideous hags dressed in faded red petticoats were boarding with great pomp carried on the shoulders of the malays and took their seats amid solemn silence on the cradle of a swing the ends of which were carved to represent the head and tail of a crocodile not a sound escaped from the crowd of spectators during this awe-inspiring ceremony they regarded the business as most serious the venerable dames then rocked to and fro on the swing fanning themselves languidly with chinese paper fans at a later stage of the performance they and three girls discharged burning arrows at a sort of altar of banana leaves maize and grass this completed the discomiture of the devil athenian festival of swinging the athenians in antiquity celebrated an annual festival of swinging boards were hung from trees by ropes and people sitting on them swung to and fro while they sang songs of a loose or voluptuous character the swinging went on both in public and private various explanations were given of the custom the most generally said was as follows when bacchus came among men to make known to them the pleasures of wine he lodged with a certain icarus or Icarius, to whom he revealed the precious secret and bade him go forth and carry the glad tidings to all the world so icarus loaded a wagon with wine skins and set out on his travels the dog mera running beside him he came to attica and there fell in with shepherds tending their sheep to whom he gave of the wine they drank greedily but when some of them fell down dead drunk their companions thought the stranger had poisoned them with intent to steal their sheep so they knocked him on the head the faithful dog ran home and guided his master's daughter erigone to the body at sight of it she was smitten with despair and hanged herself on a tree beside her dead father but not until she had prayed that lest the athenians should avenge her sire's murder their daughters might die the same death as she her curse was fulfilled for soon many athenian damsels hanged themselves for no obvious reason an oracle informed the athenians of the true cause of this epidemic of suicide so they sought out the bodies of the unhappy pair and instituted the swinging festival to appease erikon and at the vintage they offered the first of the grapes to her and her father swinging as a mode of expiation and purification thus the swinging festival at athens was regarded by the ancients as an expiation for a suicide with suicides by hanging this opinion is strongly confirmed by a statement of varro that it was unlawful to perform funeral rites in honour of persons who had died by hanging but that in their case such rites were replaced by a custom of swinging images as if in imitation of the death they had died servius says that the athenians failing to find the bodies of icarus and erigon on earth made a pretence of seeking them in the air by swinging on ropes hung from trees and he seems to have regarded the custom of swinging as a purification by means of air this explanation probably comes very near the truth indeed if we substitute souls or bodies in the wording of it we may almost accept it as exact it might be thought that the souls of persons who had died by hanging were more than the souls of the other dead hovering in the air since our bodies were suspended in air at the moment of death hence it would be considered needful to purge the air of these vagrant spirits and this might be done by swinging persons or things to and fro in order that by their impact might disperse and drive away the baleful ghosts thus the custom would be exactly nebulous on the one hand to the practice of the malay medicine man who swings to and fro in front of the patient's house in order to chase away the disease or to frighten away evil spirits or to catch a stray soul of the sick man 
and on the other hand, to the practice of the Central Australian Aborigines, who beat the air with their weapons and hands in order to drive the leering ghost away to the grave. At Rome, swings seem to have formed part of the great Latin festival, Ferre Latine, and its origin was traced to a search in the air for the body of even the soul of King Latinus, who disappeared from earth after the battle with Mesintius, king of Seir. Swing to promote the growth of plants. Yet on the other hand, there are circumstances which point to an intimate association, both at Athens and Rome, of these swinging festivals with an intention of promoting the growth of cultivated plants. Such circumstances are the legendary connection of the Athenian festival with Bacchus, the custom of offering the first fruits of the vintage to Aragon and Icarus, and at Rome the practice of hanging masks on trees at the time of sowing, in order to make the grapes grow better. Perhaps we can reconcile the two apparently discrepant effects attributed to swinging as a means of expiration on the one side and of fertilization on the other, by supposing that in both cases the intention is to clear the air of dangerous influences, whether these are ghosts of the unburied dead or spiritual powers immiscible to the growth of plants. Independent of both appears to be the notion that the higher you swing, the higher will grow the crops. This last is homeopathic or imitative magic, pure and simple, without any admixture of the ideas of purification or expiation. Swing as a festival rite in modern Greece and Italy. In modern Greece and Italy, the custom of swinging as a festival rite, whatever its origin may be, is still observed in some places. At the small village of Kokura in Ellis, an English traveller observed peasants swinging from a tree in honour of St. George, whose festival it was. On the Tuesday after Easter, the maidens of Seraphos play their favourite game of the swing. They hang a rope from one wall to another of the steep, narrow, filly street, and putting some clothes on it, swing one after the other, singing as they swing. Young men who try to pass are called upon to pay toll in the shape of a penny, a song, and a swing. The words which the youth sings are generally these. The gold is swung, the silver is swung, and swung too is my love with the golden hair. To which the girl replies, Who is it that swings me that I might gild him with my favour, that I may work him affairs all covered with pearls? In the Greek island of Carpathos, the villagers assemble at a given place on each of the four Sundays before Easter. A swing is erected, and the women swing one after the other, singing death wails such as they chant round the mimic tombs in church on the night of Good Friday. On Christmas Day, peasant girls in some villages of Calabria fasten ropes to iron rings on the ceiling and swing on them, while they sing certain songs prescribed by custom for the occasion. The practice is regarded not merely as an amusement, but also as an act of devotion. It is a custom in Cadiz, when Christmas comes, to fasten swings in the courtyards of houses, and even in the houses themselves, when there is no room for them outside. In the evenings, lads and lasses assemble round the swings and pass the time happily in swing, amid joyous songs and cries. The swings are taken down when carnivals come. The observance of the custom at Christmas, that is, at the winter solstice, suggests that in Calabria and Spain, as in Estonia, the pastime may originally have been a magical rite designed to assist the sun in climbing the steep ascent to the top of the summer sky. If this were so, we might surmise that the gold and the golden air mentioned by use and maidens of Seraphos, as they swing, refer to the golden swing in the sky. In other words, to the sun whose golden lamp swings daily across the blue vault of heaven. 
swinging at festivals in spring. However that may be, it would seem that festivals of swinging are especially held in spring. This is true, for example, of North Africa, where such festivals are common. At some places in that part of the world, the date of the swinging is the time of the apricots. At others, it is said to be the spring equinox. In some places, the festival lasts three days, and the fathers who have had children born to them within the year bring them and swing them in the swings. In Korea, the fifth day of the fifth moon is called Tanonal. Ancestors are then worshipped, and swings are put up in the yards of most houses for the amusement of the people. The women on this day may go about the streets. During the rest of the year, they may go out only after dark. Dressed in their prettiest clothes, they visit the various houses and amuse themselves swinging. The swing is said to convey the idea of keeping cool in the approaching summer. It is one of the most popular feasts of the year. Perhaps the reason here a sign for swinging may explain other instances of the custom. On the principles of homeopathic magic, the swinging may be regarded as a means of ensuring a succession of cool, freshing breezes during the oppressive heat of the ensuing summer. End of section 14 And the end of The Golden Bough, Part 3, The Dying God, by Sir James George Fraser Read by Leon Harvey